Ten local cases of COVID were reported Sunday, all coming from Taoyuan. Of the ten, six had contracted COVID on January 9th while dining at a steakhouse. Local cases over this past week included the restaurant's employees and customers. Meanwhile, two junior high students who confirmed positive on Sunday go to the same school as Case 17774, who is a part-time server at the restaurant. Another student's parent also tested positive. Let's hear from the health minister. For case 17774, we've looked into her school and campus. During the first round of tests, we found two of her classmates infected. Now we found another classmate, case 17935, who is from the same school and from a different class. So we're still doing contact tracing for case 17774. In addition, case 17774 has a cousin, case 17880, who attends Dongxing Junior High. Now her school has another infected student, case 17930, who is not in the same class as her. The school is currently closed and the contact tracing is continuing. The tenth case of the day is an airport quarantine officer whose job is to test arriving travelers. The patient's PCR test on January 9th and rapid testing on January 14th both came out negative, but a positive PCR test result came out on Saturday. Minister Chen said the officer only started the job last month. Since Omicron is highly transmissible, she probably contracted the virus while on duty due to negligence. According to the official vaccination registration platform, more than 870,000 people had registered to get a booster shot as of Sunday noon. A closer look reveals more than 660,000 registrations were for the Moderna vaccine, accounting for more than 90 percent of available doses. In contrast, merely 180,000 registrations were for the Pfizer vaccine. That's less than half of the available slots. If you can't decide which vaccine brand to go for, the CECC suggests that you consider the level of protection, comfort and side effects of each brand. And if you miss the chance to register for the latest round of booster, Worry not, the next round will be open starting 10 a.m. on Tuesday, lasting until noon on Saturday. Successful registrants in the next round can expect to receive a booster shot between January 24th and 30th. Xinzhu City Mayor Lin Zhijian recently announced that he would not run for re-election. This is due to a controversial proposal to merge Xinzhu County and Xinzhu City and upgrade it to be a special municipality. To pave the way for Greater Xinzhu to be upgraded, an amendment to the Local Government Act will be deliberated on Wednesday and Thursday. The DPP hopes to complete deliberation by the end of the week so the bill can be voted on in the next legislative session. Besides Xinzhu, Zhanghua County is also eyeing the bill's passage so that it may also be in the running for an upgrade. On January 19th and 20th, the Legislative Yuan is scheduled to deliberate an amendment to the Local Government Act. The DPP caucus hopes to complete deliberation on the item by the end of the week. 
If the DPP forces the amendment of the Local Government Act during the extraordinary session, the people would find that quite unacceptable. If the merger of Xinzhu City and Xinzhu County were so important, then why has the issue never been raised over the past five years, given DPP's majority in the legislature? And now that elections are coming up in less than a year, the DPP wants to force it through. The merger is what citizens of Greater Xinju want. Originally, even Commissioner Yang Wenke of the KMT supported the proposal, but the KMT discredited the proposal, calling it a scheme to get a DPP member elected. So Yang had no choice but to change his stance. And now, Lin Zhijian has also announced he's no longer running for Xinju mayor. If the bill passes the Internal Administration Committee's deliberation by the end of the week, it may pass the third and final reading by late February at the earliest. In addition to Greater Xinzhu, Zhanghua County in central Taiwan is also seeking an upgrade to become a special municipality. Two conditions must be fulfilled by municipalities seeking an upgrade. One, its population must exceed 1.25 million. And two, the region must have special needs to develop politically, economically, culturally as a metropolitan area. With a population of 1.29 million, Zhanghua County already meets the first requirement. The two municipality upgrade proposals could be reviewed at the same legislative session. At the earliest, Zhanghua's application could undergo substantive deliberation by late March. Zhanghua County's population is big enough to establish itself as a special municipality. But of course, the population alone is not enough for upgrading. The latest amendment to the Local Government Act doesn't seem to be directly connected to Zhanghua. Since upgrading Zhanghua County has already gained bipartisan support in the region, what's left is the stamp of approval from the Interior Ministry. However, it seems unlikely that the upgrade will be complete before the year-end 9-in-1 local elections. 119 is the number you would call when there's a fire. And not surprisingly, January 19th is designated as Fire Prevention Day in Taiwan. On Sunday, the Hualien County Fire Department marked the occasion by showing off its aerial rescue capabilities with the deployment of a Black Hawk helicopter and the highest aerial ladder on the East Coast. To get kids interested in fire safety, the fire department also paraded their search and rescue dogs who will join the rescue team upon completing training. A Black Hawk helicopter slowly descends, ruffling up people's hair and causing nearby trees to sway in a strong wind. Here, a rescue worker rappels down from the Black Hawk helicopter and straps on a tether, successfully simulating rescue maneuver. As Fire Prevention Day approaches, the Hualien County Fire Department used the occasion to conduct a mock rescue mission, putting on quite a show. The kids probably felt very scared by the strong wind when the helicopter descended. It was quite an experience to see a helicopter at such a close range. This was the first time that the public was allowed to get up and personal to the aircraft and get their pictures taken with it. On the other side of the venue parked a fire engine that had a 52-meter aerial ladder where people were allowed to get on for a ride. Kids and adults alike were having the time of their lives. In addition to the tallest aerial ladder on the east coast, three rescue dogs were the center of the public's attention. 
They have to successfully pass various tests to join the local rescue team. The adorable pooches easily won the hearts of the spectators. They will undergo tests in March. After they pass, they will become official search and rescue dogs. We are an intermediate capacity special search team. After the search and rescue dog training is completed, the search team can be certified as having advanced capacity. Hualien is a place that's prone to natural disasters, so it is our key task to strengthen our disaster relief capabilities so that the public will know that our disaster prevention capabilities have been greatly improved. The event organizer hoped that the public can be reassured when it comes to the fire department's firefighting and rescue capabilities, and that knowledge of fire safety can be deeply ingrained in the public. Lunar New Year is right around the corner, and many people like to decorate their homes with paper-cut designs. Not sure how to start? Our reporter Stephanie Yang sat down with Taiwanese paper-cut artist Luo Jingzhi to get some tips. Paper cut artist Luo Jingzhi demonstrates a tiger paper cut. He starts by folding the paper according to the lines on the template. He gives tips on folding and cutting. Fold all the lines first. You usually fold while cutting, but the problem is, if you do that, the scissors have to be put down and picked up. This cutting method is called half-fold cutting, and there are many ways to cut paper. This method will reduce your time in half, but usually this method requires sufficient proficiency in paper cutting. The artist recommends cutting using the tip of the scissors and cutting the horizontal folds first. This pointed part is actually cut like this. They are not cut around. Cut the horizontal lines first. When cutting the arc, move the paper. Rotate the paper and do not rotate the scissors. These paper cut templates were designed by Luo and his team. Luo has been a senior art editor for a magazine for almost 30 years. He's been paper cutting for over 20 years. I've done paper cutting for about 20 years. At first, I started paper cutting because I liked it, so I cut some paper and decorated my house with it. Of course, just cutting one piece of paper at a time is a waste of energy, so we'll cut four to eight pieces each time. With the Lunar New Year approaching, people are beginning to decorate their houses with paper-cut tigers on the word tiger and blessing to welcome the Year of the Tiger. FTV News reporter Stephanie Yang and Zhong Shuhui in Taipei. Well, the weather was fair island-wide with warmer temperatures on Sunday, but starting Monday, as the cold front and rain clouds from southern China arrive, the northern and northeastern regions will become cold and damp again. Temperatures are expected to reach their lowest point on Tuesday. Let's hear from a meteorologist. Clouds will thicken gradually in the north and Yilan. Intermittent brief showers will gradually begin, especially in Greater Taipei and Yilan. The coldest periods will fall in the early hours of Tuesday, and the lows will drop to around 14 to 16 degrees island-wide. Temperatures will not rise until Thursday, but even then, rain may still be falling in the northeast. 
Taiwan has a vast network of social welfare services provided by both state-funded and private organizations. But all too often, families that qualify for help are never detected, and neither do they ever reach out for help. FTV discovered one such case, a single mother from the Philippines and her young daughter. Tonight in our Sunday special report, we ask how families like this one can go unnoticed by Taiwan's social welfare system. We also meet the people trying to repair the social safety net before it's too late to help. Night falls and the city slowly lights up. For most, home is a cozy space to be. But at this house near Taoyuan Xingwu Industrial Park, no matter how many lights go on, a gloomy atmosphere persists. The walls of the makeshift bedroom are wooden dividers. The space is devoid of furniture, except for an old desk in a corner of the living room. Hey, this is the home that 7th grader Xiaoxing returns to every day after class. Usually, she's all by herself, with nobody to turn to for homework help. <laughs> Her mother is Marba Morias, a 51-year-old immigrant from the Philippines. Although she's lived in Taiwan for more than a decade, she can speak very little Chinese. <laughs> Before his passing, her late husband had been unemployed for seven or eight years. Despite the language barrier and the shortage of employment in the countryside, she had to figure out a way to pay rent and raise her children. Now she makes a living together with a friend, selling homemade snacks. If I were to work at a factory, I wouldn't have been able to look after my daughter. My husband was of no help. New knife, milk powder, milk powder, and Lianlu, uh, Ichi, mixed together. In February of 2021, her husband passed away to illness, making her a single parent. Now she wakes up at 5 a.m. every day to prepare the ingredients and pinch out little dessert balls. She then travels to industrial parks in Taoyuan and Shinju to peddle the snacks by the box to migrant workers. Her workday ends well past 9 p.m. How many we sell depends on the day. I sell more on Saturday and Sunday, about 100 boxes each day. From Monday to Friday, it's about 50 boxes per day. In Taiwan's social welfare system, households like hers are considered disadvantaged. They often need a variety of support from social services. Put simply in one sentence, it's households where, due to disease, poverty, or other problems, the family's support structure is deficient or in need of support. These are the kinds of families that we service. Every year, we get notified of about 10,000 such families. But even when authorities are alerted of a family in need, the household may not ultimately qualify for government help. There are also cases of families who clearly meet the criteria, but who are never reported to the relevant agencies. That is the case of Marba's family. Welfare associations know very well that many families fall through the cracks of Taiwan's support system. Say, 
To be honest, I think there are probably a lot of families that are unaccounted for. I think it's because they might not want to talk about the problems they have at home. Marbo's social circle extends to just one or two friends from her home country in Taiwan. As she spends most of her day at work, she doesn't have the time or energy to find help. Even if she did, she says, she wouldn't know what to do. Already, raising her family is almost more work than she can keep up with. There are disadvantaged families of all kinds, both in urban and rural areas, who are never brought into the welfare system. Often, it's because the families do not actively seek help. There are resources available in both urban and rural areas. It just depends on whether families understand how to get help, how to use the system, and how to get involved. That's the main issue. Government agencies and NGOs offer a variety of resources for disadvantaged households. The difficult part is getting families in need to access them. The Taiwan Fund for Children and Families has been operating in Taoyuan for more than 50 years. In the early days, families were introduced to us by borough wardens or workers from the borough office or from schools. More recently, it's families who tell each other, who share their information with one another. For example, they tell each other that they are getting support from the fund. They might know of other families that have similar needs and they introduce us to them. That's to say, we encourage the public or our agencies at the neighborhood and borough level to inform us of potential cases. If you see a family that you think may be in a vulnerable position, you can bring up their case with us. Ms. Lin is a divorced mother of four who makes a living from recycling. It's an unreliable source of income, but it's all she has to pay rent. Lin's church informed welfare organizations of her situation. Now they offer her family all sorts of support and assistance. Most of the households that we help have financial problems. They don't make enough money at work, or they are single parents, which limits their financial means. The most obvious impact of that is on children's needs. Perhaps the family finances aren't sound, so they have no way to immediately meet their children's needs. We have a sponsorship program in which sponsors give a set amount of money every month for the children we're taking care of. Besides material and economic support, children in disadvantaged households also need company. Today, the social worker has brought a picture book to read with Lin's daughter. Their time together is brief, but for the girl, it's an invaluable human connection. A youth counselor says that over the years, he's noticed that children in disadvantaged households often develop a sense of inferiority. From when they are small, if they are growing up in a household with insufficient resources, they might wonder why others have things they don't. Perhaps the media or their peers send the message that you need to be a double-income family or have two Taiwanese parents to be a good family. If they believe that, they might end up feeling inferior to others. The counselor says that being taught good values and willpower can be enough to offset the negative impact of growing up disadvantaged.
美国的研究也有告诉我们说 ，In the U.S., there are studies showing that children who grow up during an economic depression don't necessarily grow up worse. Actually, they mature earlier and are aware of how to be competitive. When they go to university, they know very well what they want to pursue, so they do develop ambitions and a resolve to turn their lives around. In recent years, government agencies and NGOs have worked on tightening the welfare safety net to support more disadvantaged households. They hope to help more and more people get the help they need. There are many channels to make a report. You can do it online or by phone. Both government agencies and the Taiwan Fund for Children and Families will want to understand the circumstances of the family and see what kind of assistance would be needed. Today, Marba is at a family service center in Xinwu, picking up food and other household necessities. Her family once lived outside the social welfare system, but with the help of friendly people, she and her family now have a safety net they can rely on. At each of the family service centers in Taoyuan's 13 districts, there are banks with food and necessities. So anyone having difficulties and material needs can come to the service center. There are always social workers on duty to consult. If you can intervene early and provide these resources to families in need, you can get children to grow up in a safe and stable environment. I think that greatly reduces the social cost of these issues. The job of social workers is not just to help people, but also to reduce this social cost. All any family wants is a safe environment in which to thrive together. For disadvantaged households, a helping hand from society is a reminder that they are not alone. It can also alter the momentum of a family, helping them feel hopeful in a way that changes lives.